Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Scripture reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the very first chapter in Matthew, uh, verses 1 to 17. So you follow along as I read in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab, the father of Nation, and Nation, the father of Solomon, and Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Mark. I know many of you are like, I'm glad that I didn't have to read the text this morning. Oh, like, Mark is awesome. <laughs> and then you're probably wondering, what in the world are we going to be studying this morning? Isn't, isn't, this the, isn't this the part of the Bible where I go to read the, kiss, the Christmas story to my family and we skip these verses? You know, you start like, oh, yeah, this is a genealogy. We just, we just skip this. And we go to the next thing. What, what in the world are we doing? Well, we're starting a, a series for four weeks, and we're going to be studying uh, Matthew chapter 1 and 2. And the title of that series is God's Hand in Unlikely Places. And so 
Oftentimes we can skip genealogies like this, and this one in particular, because we just want to move on to the Christmas story. But God's hand is at work, and this book was written to Jewish Christians. It was written to people, just kind of like as we've been st- we studied the book of Hebrews, this year was written to Jewish Christians. This gospel was written to Jewish Christians, so it has more references to the Old Testament than the other gospels do because uh, he, the, Matthew is making those connections for people. And the original hearers, and they would have been hearers because most people didn't read um, the scriptures because it was shared verbally, the original hearers would would have had great significance as this would have been read. Like for them, it wasn't just, man, I don't know how he pronounced those names. It would have been, they would have understood the significant stories that are behind the names that are in this genealogy. This represents 2,000 years of time, roughly. And a number of generations as we walk through. But as we look at the text this morning, there's something that we're going to notice. We're going to notice that in this genealogy, there is a bunch of brokenness. Um, There aren't shining examples necessarily of great faith, though there are some. And I think that's timely for us in this season. Because we don't come to this text and go, hey, Wes, is there a worship song for us to sing the genealogy? I mean, I just really am ministered to. And in fact, there's a, there's a song out there, uh, Andrew Peterson, who's a, a Christian artist, uh, he actually wrote a song that basically sings this. Uh, we're probably not going to sing it on a Sunday morning, but I think Wes is going to put it on social media if you're interested. It's, it's uh, yeah, well done. But yeah, we don't get ministered to, but we see brokenness here. And the older I get, the more aware I am that the Christmas season often is a greater reminder of brokenness than it is a reminder of joyous and happy times. I mean, a few years ago, maybe three or four years ago, I was in small group and we were having a conversation just kind of, you know, at the beginning where you just ask a question just to kind of get people warmed up. And I asked a simple question, hey, let's go around the circle and share a memory of of Christmas growing up, just anything. Maybe it's food, maybe it's a you know, tradition that you have. And so people, you know, we're going around the circle and people are sharing different, different memories. And then we get to one guy in the group and he says, I don't have one. And I'm kind of still a little lighthearted. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? You know, what? You know there's gotta be something. And he's like, no, uh, there's not. And the room got quiet. And the reality was for him is this season of time just brings up memories of brokenness because of the family that he was in. And that time in his life was hard. And many of you have experienced that. Maybe you experienced that when you were having Thanksgiving dinner with family members or potentially as you dread uh, holiday gatherings with family. Some of you, you look forward to them maybe. But others of you, you're like, yeah, that's when this cousin says this thing, or that uncle says that thing, or when my dad says, or I don't know if I want to see that individual, and you're just really aware of the brokenness, let alone maybe the brokenness that exists, you know, in your larger family tree. Maybe brokenness as relates to divorce, 
You're like, man, if I try to draw my family tree, I don't know if I figure, can figure out how to put the lines in there. Maybe you are aware of, of hurt from past relationships. Or maybe you're just aware that your family isn't in the place that you thought they would be in this point in time. But as we look at this text, we are going to see a family tree uh, that is probably far more jacked up than your family tree. But we are going to see the hand of God in unlikely places. We are going to see a faithful God even when people are faithless. A God who works through brokenness to accomplish his purposes. But let's pray before we do that. Father, we need your help this morning. We're looking in an unlikely place in your word, a place that we typically don't spend time memorizing or studying. But I ask God that you open our eyes to see your hand at work in this family tree and so that we can see your hand at work in our family tree and we can see your redemptive purposes. Father, would you lead us this morning to see Jesus and to bring glory to your name? We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we're going to look at, at three truths this morning. The first one is this. Don't miss Jesus in the story. Okay, don't miss Jesus in the story. We can. Like, again, we can jump through this. And I know at the very beginning, the first verse says, in the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, you're like, well, how do, we're not going to miss Jesus. He's right there at the front. But as you read through it, you just kind of get lost in the names that you don't understand and you don't relate to. And you're like, why did they name their kids that? Or someone of you are expecting children, and you're like, hey, hon, how about we do, how about we use that name? But we can get lost in the midst of the mess and miss Jesus. And I want to encourage you not to get lost in the midst of your mess and miss Jesus. I know it's a pithy statement. It's on bumper stickers. Jesus is the reason for the season. We want to remember that. Absolutely. But that, that's true. We, we don't want to miss Christ in the midst of all of this because the writer is wanting to draw attention that that Jesus has come, that the Messiah has come. Because he starts with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Christ isn't Jesus' last name, okay? My last name is Maxim, Jamie Maxim. This isn't Jesus and his last name happens to be Christ. No, that has great significance. Christ means anointed one. It means Messiah. And the Old Testament is full of prophetic words and anticipation of one who's going to come and deliver his people. And so Matthew, right out of the gate, wants to say, don't miss Jesus, who's come on the scene. He is the Messiah. This is the one that you have been waiting for. And for us, he is the one that we're longing for in the midst of our brokenness. He's the one that's been sent to deliver his people from bondage, and we need to look to Christ. But we also learned that he's part of a royal bloodline because it says he's the son of David. That doesn't mean that he was born from David and his wife. It wasn't that he was immediately then. No, he's in the lineage of a royal family. And David is the king whose line God promised to establish forever. Like other kingdoms, they're established until the king dies. And then, and then sometimes you know, if they have a son, the, the the kingdom's perpetuated, but if they don't, the, the kingdom stops. But this 
line was promised to be established forever. In 2 Samuel, we read this. And your house, your kingdom, shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Forever. So Matthew wants his hearers to know right out of the gate, this is the one whose throne is going to be established forever. Because they're in the midst of a time where great persecution has come. Persecution has come on the church and in addition to that, the, the Jewish people had already been oppressed by the Romans. So they're just feeling all of this mess and hurt, and life is hard. And he wants to say, no, this one has come. Lift your eyes, friends. He's in this royal line. But then he goes on, and he says, he's, Jesus is the son of Abraham. Jesus is the one who's going to fulfill a promise that was made. And to the original hearers, immediately they would remember the promise because Abraham was a very important figure for all of the Jewish people because God made a promise to Abraham back in the book of Genesis. If you want to leave your hand in Matthew and flip back to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, let's, let's read about the promise. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When the original hearers heard the word Abraham, heard not just the word, heard the name Abraham, they immediately would remember those verses because they had been told it again and again and again as they grow up. God made this promise to Abraham. Abraham is our father. God's going to bless the world through his lineage, through us. And yet in the midst of their surrounding, everything is a mess. So Matthew's going, hey, it's not going to be a mess anymore. The one who has been promised has come on the scene. This is going to be fulfilled through this one. And I'm going to show you how this happened. I'm going to go, uh, just Jesus is here, and he goes, he's in this lineage from David. You know how significant he is. And then he comes all the way, his lineage goes all the way back to Abraham. God's going to continue his promise. Because Jesus fulfills that promise. And then there's promise as we look to Isaiah who said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now we don't have time to unpack that passage right now. But we must understand that immediately pops into the minds of the original hearers. Wait a minute, this is huge. We've been waiting for this one. Don't miss him, Matthew says. Don't miss him. We, he is the one we have been waiting for. He is the savior of the world. So friends, even when you think about the brokenness that you're experiencing 
or that you're aware of? Where is Jesus at work? Because he is at work. Where is Jesus at work? Not only in your brokenness and your family, where is Jesus at work in you? Because, the, because he is at work. I can assure you he is at work. But we need to look for it. We need to see that he's working. And sometimes we need friends to help us remember. I need friends from my small group, those that know Christ, that will, will point me back to Christ. So don't miss Jesus. I think we get that point. Don't miss Jesus as we come to this long list. Number two, all families need God's grace. There's no families that are just fine. I know social media paints this picture of families. Whatever your favorite social media outlet, no one, no one has actually honest posts on social media, generally speaking. I get it. Like, you post different things. But no, no one posts when the kids are, like, punching each other out, right? The wonderful gingerbread house that you had together, no one posts the picture of one child throwing it at the other child. Right? No one posts, oh, hey, you know, we put that stuffing in the oven, and, you know, we just, we thought we ate it all. And then you go to the oven three days later, and you realize nobody actually took it out. It was kind of stuck in the back. No one posts the, the mess. But every family has the mess. And as we look at this, Matthew is not hiding the mess. But you have to understand, in the first century, that would have stuck out. Huge, stark contrast. Because in that day, people would have referenced their family tree as, as if someone now would kind of reference a, a resume. Your family tree was what defined you. Your family tree was, in many ways, what was your identity. And so when it came to your family tree, it could be a badge of honor or a badge of shame. And leaders took this seriously. I mean, there were some rulers that would take out family members because they didn't want to be associated with them. Herod actually uh, did this in, in a degree. His, his genealogy uh, was kind of listed in the public record. And he had some of the names in his genealogy purged from the public record so that he wouldn't be associated with them. That's how serious a genealogy was in the first century. Now, it doesn't seem that way for us because in, in our day, oftentimes we're, we're, we are very self-focused. Oftentimes people won't know anything about even your parents, and some might know about your parents, maybe your grandparents, but beyond that, they don't. Like, we don't really spend a lot of time talking about that, interacting about that, because it's all about us. All about us, what we can do, we want to kind of disassociate ourselves oftentimes, but not here. You couldn't in this day. But Matthew doesn't hide anyone. So we're just going to kind of touch on a few as we go through. One thing that does stick out as you go through is Matthew mentions five different women in this genealogy. And we're not going to spend time today because we're going to leave that to next week because I think those ladies deserve an entire message for us to go through and we're going to touch on them next week. But that's really huge because typically women weren't even mentioned in genealogies because their names, their names, their, their words actually weren't even admissible in court. They were marginalized 
Sometimes they were referenced, but never as a significant figure. But here, they're significant in this line. That sticks out. But here's some other things that stick out. Let's just look at verse 2. We're not going to reference every single person in the whole list, but let's just take Jacob. Jacob lied to his dad. When his dad's kind of blind at the end of his life, he lies to his dad, dresses up like his brother, and, uh, and lies to his dad, and he gets the blessing. And then he lies to his father-in-law and manipulates cattle and things like that so that his, his cattle can be better and his, his father-in-law's cattle are going to be the weak ones. And then he gets lied to. Then his sons lie to him and throw one of his sons in a pit. So like, like we've got, we've got a, someone in the family tree that's not necessarily known for his word and his integrity. Look at verse 3. Tamar tricked her father Judah into fornicating with her. And we're, verse five, Rahab was a prostitute. Six, David. Well, of course, David. David's great. David's a king. I mean, David and Goliath, right? He's great to have in the family tree. But as we read, it says, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And so we're reminded that David did the unthinkable. David had, had men who were known as his mighty men. These were men of renown, men who would not only defend David, but would defend the things that David would ask them to do, men that would, would break through a line, and they could kill hundreds of men, and uh, they were just kind of these, these great men. It's one of these men that was off at war, and when he was off at war, David saw his wife and committed adultery with her, and she got pregnant. And rather than humbly confessing that, he, he has this man put in battle, and everyone backs away so that this man will die. That, that's not someone you're, you're talking about around the dinner table when you're recounting your family tree. Verse 7, you got Rehoboam. In 1 Kings 12, Rehoboam is someone who had a bunch of great wise counselors that actually counseled his father, older men who could have given him great wisdom, and he chooses to ignore the older men's wisdom and go with the younger men, the men his age. And those men gave him counsel to basically oppress the people of Israel, oppress the nation. And the fruit of his foolishness was that the kingdom was divided. The kingdom was divided. Because he didn't listen, cut down the middle and divided. And divided until they end up in captivity in Babylon. That's his Resume, And then lastly, in verse 11, we see Jeconiah, whose lasting legacy is he's the king who's leading when the nation gets conquered by the Babylonians. And they're taken into captivity for 70 years. Now, the consequences for sin should sober us. I mean, they should sober us, and they should cause us to pause. These aren't ones that we should be like, but here's the thing. 
Jesus' family tree was not one to be proud of. But God chose that he would be, he would enter this world with that family tree. And God has chosen that you would be in the midst of your family tree, no matter what the brokenness is. But even in the midst of the brokenness, forgiveness can be found by all families, not just this family. It can, it can be found by all families because of Christ. Even in the midst of mess, we see that people who are marginalized by culture and respectable society can be brought into Jesus' family. We are all welcomed into God's family because of Christ. God is not ashamed of us. Jesus went to the cross for us. So let us focus on Christ. Even as we come to this genealogy, let us trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted in Christ, there's a truth from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Let, let us trust in Christ. Let us repent and believe in him because forgiveness can come. Restoration can come when we trust in Christ. Tim Keller said, Jesus Christ Values are radically different. The world values pedigree, race, money, and class. Jesus turns all that upside down. It's not the good people who are in and the bad people who are out. Everyone is in only by the grace of Jesus Christ. It is only what Jesus has done for you that can give you standing before God. It's not fixing up all the mess. All the mess just makes you a great candidate for the grace of God in Christ Jesus. God works in messed up families. Okay, God works in messed up families. I'm not gonna ask you to turn to other family members today and go, yeah, God works in messed up families so he can work in our family. All the families here are messed up, okay? We all are. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And most of us feel like our family's more messed up than the other ones. Why? Because we know the family tree. But God works. He's not ashamed. Jesus wasn't ashamed to have the pedigree. You don't have to be ashamed because you're not defined by your family tree. You're defined by what Jesus has done. Because Jesus isn't ashamed to call you a brother or sister. Jesus went to the cross for you. And we can trust that no human being, even in the midst of our mess, none, no one is beyond the reach of Christ. As much as it sure feels like it, as much as the pressure comes when you go to certain family gatherings uh, or, or interacting with certain relatives, like you're, just, you're not looking forward to that time, they're not beyond the reach of Christ and understand that, that forgiveness that comes in Christ doesn't mean, like, like we want to forgive others, but that doesn't mean that we enable those that continue to cause pain and suffering in a family. I don't want to minimize that really. There, there, there are times when there are individuals that are not responding to truth and they continue to cause hurt. So I'm not saying that we enable them and continue to let that continue. And those are things you should be walking with your pastor and counselors to walk through some of those hard things and you should just be open about that. That's, that's real. 
There is a reality that we are going to experience suffering and hurt this side of eternity in, in our families. Jesus did. We, we are. But we look to a day when that's going to change. Because of Christ's forgiveness, the eternal relationships, the eternal family that we're going to be a part of doesn't have pain. It's marked by joy and, and, and not suffering, by rejoicing and redemption rather than hurt and pain. And sometimes there, we're in a place that's hard and we just have to hold on to that. There are times where it's just like, well, there's not a solution today as much as we want. I would love to have that magic pill where, oh yeah, just take this, or here's these scripture verses and it's gonna make everything better. Sometimes we don't have that. But we have hope because Jesus has come onto the scene and he's changed everything and he has us something to look forward to. But let change start with you. Cultivate a culture of repentance in your family. Maybe it just starts with your immediate family. Maybe, maybe that the possibility is in the extended family. It all, it all depends. But we want to start with that because we even have examples of that in this text. Even in the midst of the mess, we've got David who confessed his sin. He even said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He prayed that because he, he was aware that he was contributing to the mess in his family in a cataclysmic way. But he found forgiveness because he was humble and he came and he repented. Hezekiah is one in verse 10. He humbled himself before the Lord. He was experiencing challenge uh, because of pride. But in 2 Chronicles, we learn that Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. He saw God's blessing come because he humbled himself. It started with him. And then Josiah is in the list. Josiah became king at eight years old. And then at 16 years old, he seeks the Lord. And then by the time he's 20 years old, he is leading the nation. Josiah says, Josiah, in, in 2 Chronicles 34, 33, Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days, they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Friends, seeing the grace of God sometimes needs to start with us even just in our families. Maybe it's you as a parent who is willing to just confess your sin to your kids when you sin against them. You just lead out just saying, I'm not perfect, I'm broken, I could easily be in this family tree. But by the grace of God, I'll seek to grow. Or maybe it's you as a sibling to one of your siblings I know oftentimes we don't want to humble ourselves. We go, yeah, these are great people. They humble themselves because they did really bad stuff. But, you know, all I did was smack my sibling upside the head while we were doing our homework, and I didn't get caught. You know some of you have done that. I, I did that. Actually, my brother did that to me. He doesn't remember that. Probably because I did worse things to him, unfortunately. 
but I could have humbled my, we don't want to, we don't want to humble ourselves because they go off, they're going to be let off the hook. They're not going to be let off the hook. They need Christ, and sometimes they're not going to experience Christ unless you come and you own the stuff that you need to own. And sometimes, friends, we're not going to be able to reconcile with some family members or some because some have passed away. But we can model that as some in this family tree modeled that, and they access forgiveness because all families need God's grace. So if you are accessing God's grace, then you're leading others to say, this is how you access God's grace. Don't lead by saying, you need to be perfect, and then God's going to bless you. That's not the gospel. No, you lead by saying, I'm not perfect. And the place that you go as you repent and you trust in Christ because he forgives you of your sins, that's going to be the best way to lead your families forward is to embrace the brokenness because we embrace Christ who comes in. We all need God's grace. And the third truth that we come to is God will keep his word, though it may take time to see it. Look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. That's a long time. We can quickly this morning read the promise in Genesis chapter 12, and then we're right here in Matthew. He's fulfilled the promise. No problem. This is quick. I mean, this is like going through the drive-thru. We got it right now. But look at all those generations that the promise didn't come to full fruition. And in the midst of that, they felt what we sometimes feel. Sinclair Ferguson said, we sometimes get lost, but God is never lost. We are often confused by our circumstances. God never is. We have doubts about his purposes. God knows what he is doing. His promises never fail. God may seem slow to us, but he is always moving his purpose on at exactly the right speed. God is never late. He is always on time, and his timing is perfect. God kept his word. There are so many places where this just seems like it's going to go off into the ditch. And it feels like it went into the ditch. For generations, all the things, the mess that happened between Abraham and David. And then David kind of made a mess of things. And then even his son Solomon kind of did really great. And then he made a mess of things. And it's like all the time, it just seems like it's going to go in the ditch. Then the whole nation goes into the ditch because they spend 70 years in exile. But then in God's providence, they come back. And then they're finally under oppression under this Roman government. And Jesus comes on the scene. God keeps his word. God knew exactly what he was doing and the direction he was going. God knows. God knows all of the details in your life right now. He knows exactly what he is doing, and he knows exactly where he is going with you. It's not lost on him. Don't sit here and think about your neighbor at 
in front of you, behind you, next to you. Oh, I can see God working in their life, but God is clearly absent in mine. I don't know why he's missed me. Somehow he must have skipped over me in the road. No, God knows what's going on with you. He knows what's going on with you. He knew what was going on in this family. He knows what's going on in yours. Tim Keller said, you cannot judge God by your calendar. God may appear to be slow, but he never forgets his promises. He may seem to be working very slowly or even to be forgetting his promises, but when his promises come true, and they will come true, they always burst the banks of what you imagined. God will keep his word. God is keeping his word. Even with a brief conversation with brothers and sisters in Christ, you can be reminded of how God has kept his word in your life, and we need to hold on to that, even in the midst of what's hard. And even if in this season you don't find something that's hard, you need this truth to minister to other brothers and sisters in Christ. You need this truth as you go and you minister to those who don't know Christ, who don't have hope, who dread the thought of being around family members because of all the pain and the brokenness, and you've got a message to bring to them about one who came in the midst of the brokenness of his family, and he changed everything. And he went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin. That's why we rejoice that the Christ has come. So we look to Christ. Because at the end of this, all these 14 generations and 14 generations, that has significance. It's not just because he had a kind of clever, oh, I just did the math here. There are actually some, some others in the midst of that, but he's pointing out something to that. There's something that would have stuck out to them. In the original hearers would have had a significant understanding of seven years. Because in the Old Testament law, there was this this year that would happen, a year of rest. Every seventh year, there would be a a year of rest where they wouldn't plant crops so that the the crops could be, the, the land could be replenished. It could be rejuvenated. That would happen every year. But then there was this cycle that would happen every seven sets of seven. So here we see 14, 14, 14, right? That's you're doing the math, I know. Some of you are like, wait a minute, I'm not in math class. You don't need to hit me here. Okay, that's six sets of seven. Okay, do the math for you. But in the Old Testament, something significant happened after the seventh set of seven. Seven sevens. It's called the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, slaves were freed. Debt was forgiven. The land had rest from weariness and burdens. And that's what we're longing for, right? We're longing for rest. Some of you came this morning longing for rest. And the reasons vary as by as many people are here. Sometimes it's just physical. Some of it is just you're emotionally exhausted from the place that you're in. Some of you, because it's, it's family. Some of you, it's job. There's all kinds of things. We're longing for that. But our text reminds us, Jesus is the 7-7. In him, 
We don't need a date on the calendar of a year of jubilee after 49 years. No, we have Christ now and we can find rest for our souls. So the original hearers would have seen the mess. They would have seen the coming on the scene of Christ. Don't miss Christ. They would have seen right away as you read through it. As Mark read through this, as they heard it the first time, boom, there were explosions going on because they knew the stories that were attached to all of these names. And they would have been like, yeah, that, they need God's grace. They certainly need this Messiah. We need the Messiah. And they would have seen the fruition of Jesus coming and that God has kept his promise and rest is possible for us. There's hope for us. God will keep his word. God will keep his word and his promises will come true in your life even if you don't see it. So we're going to spend some time in prayer. I'm going to pray, but we're also going to sing a song, and the worship team can, can come back up, and we're going to sing a song that we learned last week. And we want to take some time to pray. So even as we sing this song, this may be a, a song of prayer for you because you're aware of brokenness that you're experiencing Maybe you're thinking about a family member that you're broken for. Maybe you're overwhelmed by someone who has hurt you. Maybe you're in a place where you're just discouraged because you look at where your family's at and you're like, this is not where I thought we'd be right now. Jesus wants you to come to him. The writer of this gospel wanted the people to come, to come to Christ, to come and find rest. So for some of you, it could be coming to Christ for the first time. And for some of you, it might just be, I am weary. So as we, as we sing, pray. But also I want you to know, if, if you need prayer, I don't want you to leave here this morning without getting prayer. And so there are going to be a few small group leaders who I forgot to talk to before this time. So if you're a small group leader, if you could kind of come, maybe find yourself kind of on the sides, because I know it's hard to come forward when there's hard stuff. We're just like, oh, if I go forward, everyone's going to think I messed up. Okay, remember what I said at the beginning? Everyone here has a messed up family. Everyone here has trials that they're walking through but we don't have to walk out of here with a crushing burden. We can walk out of here with the peace of Christ. So feel free to come forward. We're just gonna sing this song and I'm gonna close us and you'll be free to go, but we want to minister to you and uh, Angie and I will be up here as well to pray for you. So let's meet with Christ this morning. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.